This morning our gospel message comes to us from the second chapter of Luke beginning at verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast. When it was over and they left for home, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they had no idea what he was talking about. So he went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly deep within herself. And Jesus matured growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. I love that story. I, I, it's a little unnerving in that we go from the birth of Jesus and the story of the manger, and then suddenly in the same chapter, he's 12 years old. There's some years that are unrecorded here, but I think there are so many points to be taken from this passage of Scripture, points we might glean from here, we could no doubt extract a great amount of useful sermon material from just Luke chapter 2. But this morning, I want to focus on one verse, on one response from Jesus to his mother when they finally, after three days of his being missing from them, they find him in the temple and she says to him, young man, why have you done this to us? I can almost picture my mother pointing her finger. Why did you do that to me? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Jesus's response, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? about my father's business. It's really quite a statement from a 12-year-old. It's, it's a statement of remarkable self-awareness on Jesus' part as to what his father's purpose for his life is. And it makes me think about at what point did I become aware of God's purpose for my life? I can tell you it was not 12 years old. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever spent any time thinking about God's plan and purpose for your life? And just when exactly did you become 
consciously aware of what God's purpose for you is, was? Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, preacher, I'm not sure I'm aware even now of what God's plan is for my life. I'm, I'm not aware of what God's purpose for my life might be even now. And that's okay. There's no condemnation in that. See, if that sounds like you, then don't let your heart be troubled. You're not the only one still trying to figure it out. Whether you're 12 or 112, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. As a matter of fact, if your heart is still pumping and you're still inhaling and exhaling, God still has purpose for your life. And with just a little scriptural perspective here in Luke, he's given to each of us the gift of discernment to figure out what that purpose is. So I want to spend just a minute or two on this idea of being about the Father's business. If you've got my message on the message board today, I said, yes, we do have church this morning. Come and be about the Father's business. See, when I was 12 years old, my dad made his living as an engineer. His forte was designing and managing the construction of chemical refineries. Sounds very exciting, doesn't it? He was good at it, though. He could do architectural and technical drawings. He could calculate complicated production equations. He could manage logistics. He could control costs and see a project through from the concept all the way to completion. He was remarkable in his field. He had a great skill. He was respected and he was sought after in that industry. And as I watched him, I wanted to be like him. And I decided that I would endeavor to be just like him when I got older. I was going to be an engineer just like my dad. And you see how that worked out. See, because when I entered high school, (laughs) I discovered that I was not at all skilled in geometry or trigonometry or calculus, any of the disciplines required to follow in my dad's footsteps. Not my thing. I had a different skill set. My skill set was in English and reading and writing and communicating thoughts and ideas. They're useful skills to be sure, but not especially oriented to building refineries and managing technical projects. So despite my struggle through high school math, I entered college determined to succeed in some field related to my dad's business. I wanted to be about my father's business. Try as I might. My heavenly father had other plans for me. And I finally abandoned my pursuit of the family business and joined the Marine Corps. (laughs) Oh my, I tell you that brief bit of personal history because I think it serves to demonstrate that in most of our lives, our thoughts of controlling our own destiny are many times contrary to God's greater good for our lives. God has our highest good always in mind, even when we can't see it in our circumstances immediately. He's always walking ahead of us. He's always paving the way and he's always orchestrating things for our 
benefit. He even tells us, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So what does it mean to those of us who are still unsure of what God's plan and purpose for us might be? One of the things that I've found to be an obstacle in finding God's purpose is that we tend to hang on to our own ideas, our own dreams. Even when we seem to be clearly swimming upstream in a field of mathematics, swimming against the current, resisting the will of God in favor of our own willfulness, the thing most likely to get in the way of realizing God's plan for us is, well, us. We get in the way of God's plan. We have our own ideas and we refuse to let go of them. We can be doggedly dogmatic. So how do we get out of the way? How do we stop being about our own busyness and start being about the Father's business? Well, fortunately for us, Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 tells us, For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we put away our desires and ideas about controlling our destiny and turn our lives over to the living Christ, then we open up the floodgates of his love, his wisdom, his mercy, his grace, and we start to see more clearly the path that he has so carefully laid before us. Jesus said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, denying ourselves clears the way for us to be selfless, to be humble, to have a contrite heart, to selflessly put the business of the kingdom of God ahead of our own agenda. We have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit work in us. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to transform us, to shed the old self and let Christ live in us. Paul tells the church in Galatia, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, if you allow Christ to live in you, it sets your heart beating to a new rhythm. The rhythm of our lives changes from one of discord to one of harmony. We, we cease to be about us and we begin to be about the things of the Father, like Christ, about our Father's business, abiding within the boundaries of His perfect will for our lives. So you might be thinking, okay, I, I get the idea of letting go of myself and letting Christ live in me, 
but let's face it, I'm only human and sometimes the spirit is willing, as they say, but the flesh is weak. And I understand that. I understand where you're coming from. If that sounds like you, I, I have found that as in most things in life, spiritual discipline requires practice. You don't just wake up one day and be all together spiritually. I found that as in most things in life, spiritual discipline requires practice. Giving up self and being more like Christ requires a daily exercise in things that are spiritual and holy. And Paul gives us good advice for daily Christ-like attitude adjustment. Boy, do you need it sometimes, right? I know I do. Attitude adjustment, kind of like doing spiritual calisthenics to condition us for being about the Father's business. And he tells the people in Colossia, he says, as God's chosen ones, which we are, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Sometimes I have a hard time finding those in my closet. But he says, clothe yourselves with these things. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as the years have passed, I've realized that God and His way is always the best way. See, there was a time when I thought I had let my family down by not following in my dad's professional footsteps. But as my spiritual understanding and relationship with my Savior grew, I came to realize the joy of allowing Christ to be Lord of my life. See, my dad passed before I ever took the pulpit. He never got to hear me preach God's Word. The very first sermon I ever preached was his funeral. But I, I have to think as I stand here on the Sunday after Christmas, I know that my dad would have been pleased with my decision to give my life, my profession over to Christ. And I know that he would not mind at all that I chose to be about my father's business rather than his own. Whatever God calls you to is being about the Father's business if you do it for His honor and His glory. 
And, and that's the key, I think. Being about the Father's business means that you approach everything, every job, every task by praying like it all depends on God, but working like it all depends on you. With an attitude of reverence, an attitude of humility, and even a genuine desire to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I encourage you this morning, as we're just about to step off the precipice into 2022, next time we meet, it will be 2022. Be about the Father's business. <coughs> Focus on what is the Father's business. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. It's a promise from God to you. When we seek Him first, when we're about the Father's business first, all the other stuff just falls into line. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now let's talk about that amazing grace that we have to uphold us and up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.